Hello, I'm Dan. I'm si- sorry, I got a mouthful of apple. <laughs> And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, aside from your apple, what are we talking about this week? Hang on, uh, let me just take another bite, just just in preparation for the article, hang on. Lovely. Um, this week, Dan, we're talking about... I actually can't pronounce that with a mouthful of apple. Um, Tenma Shibuya, a Japanese actor, classical dancer and cultural exchange activist. Wow. Yeah. This is, again, alarmingly high brow for the start of this particular podcast. We've got to do something about this. We, we really have got really to do. put our foot down and insist that the quality, stomp that quality right back down. Well, um, I think we should let the readers know that despite despite starting on, on such lofty heights and sunny <laughs> uplands uh, for the podcast, we will do our very best to... <laughs> drag it down into the gutter as the as the podcast goes on well let's try and power through the actual content so we can get back to our regular regular scheduled non-content programming regular um, yes regular sorry i've got a mouthful of apple down well well you, <laughs> reap, you reap what you sow yeah uh, johnny appleseed over here right um so this is a japanese actor uh he began his career in 1993 after returning from the united states where he attended college He's appeared in a bunch of stuff. He's appeared in a film called Romeo and Juliet, but Romeo is spelled R-O-M-I-O and Juliet. Oh. And it's not like linked or anything like that. So I, I, don't, I can't tell you anything more than that. Uh, agitator. Oh, he's been in a film called Appleseed. Oh, <laughs> wow. Too... Wow. The I did not see that. Full circle. Oh, another smash hit for the wiki cast. Uh, wow, so this is a... Uh, Appleseed is a 2004 film based on a manga. Uh, and, yeah, it looks like a... Oh, boy. Oh, it bombed. It cost $10 million and it made 1.5 back. Goodness. Oh, in North America. Oh, okay, so that's that, that doesn't account for the Japanese uh, box office. But... He's a... Oh, gosh, it's happened again. He's disappeared. Welcome. The Old Man Dirt Podcast. Poetry. Gardening. Choral singing. Well, readers, I don't know if you uh, heard that heard that one-sided conversation, but would you believe it's me and you again? The Old Man Down Podcast, back by popular demand. Yeah, Simon seems to be having really awful trouble with his uh, with his electricity. Bless him. I can also say, just to you, because Simon's not here, so it can be a bit of a teaser, I will be replacing this week's choral piece of the week with another piece of poetry. Um, I had such fun uh, doing it last week, and as did Simon, and I'm, I hope did all of you, when you were listening to uh, William McGonagall's absolutely outrageous, um, outrageous poem. So I thought my choral piece this week will be once again replaced by poetry which I think is in line with what I'm currently getting up to at the moment, because music has taken a bit of a back seat. I've been working on lots of projects, and now they've come to a close. Um, and uh, I'm not I'm not listening to quite as much, certainly choral stuff. Still listening to music, but but not as much. And I was I was lying lying awake last night, struggling to get to sleep. So I I reached for my trusty staying alive, real poems for unreal times. Um, and found a really excellent one 
uh, called The Honeycomb, and we'll be listening to that a bit later. Otherwise, I hope you're all well. Uh, Adam, if you're editing this uh, podcast, can I say what an incredible job you did on that that catchy little jingle um, for the Old Man Down podcast? I absolutely love it. And I'm having serious thoughts about whether I start a little podcast about poetry and and, and boring things that I enjoy. Um, so curse you for that, because what I'm about to unleash onto the internet is a terrible, terrible thing. Hello? Ah, Hello. Hello, We're hello! Back. It's it's me, Return for another Infinity Dagger adventure. Goodness um, gracious me! So you you disappeared off again? Yeah, another another power cut. I I mean wow. uh, we haven't had one since the last time we recorded. It it's incredibly frustrating. Well, I mean, it, it, as frustrating as it is, I think it's also a sign that I can now say, back by popular demand, the Old Man Dan podcast made it will make another appearance. I had a lovely chat with the readers. Oh. I was teasing a bit of content that's coming up later in later in the show. Um, we, I think, we had a we had a jolly time. But I, I'm glad, I'm glad you're back. I sense a spin-off podcast in the works. Although my friend, oh, uh, don't my friend Claire, uh, basically sent me a message after the last one came out to say, please, please make the Wikicast a Dan reads bad poetry podcast. <laughs> I will just listen to that every week. <laughs> I think the idea, certainly having heard the incredible jingle that um that Adam put in last episode. Uh, really got me thinking about. God, I think you know what? Just a, a podcast where I do talk about poetry, good and bad, would be absolute and just enormous fun. I'd, I mean, um, I'd enjoy that far too much. I'm sure my friend Claire would be very up for. That. I mean, well, if if, if you, any dear readers, I mean, including Claire, uh, would be interested in doing such a, a project, which sounds to mm. me like possibly the most boring thing I could imagine, uh, then even if it's even if even if we do an extended episode on William McGonagall and his and his kind of similar folk mm-hmm. well wow, let us know okay. dear readers i mean we we are remain at your service um but well this episode we are talking about of course uh what's this fa- the, the ten marshabuya um mm. who i Bless think you. Uh, thank you uh who i think i got halfway through saying he'd been an apple seed uh and then i was just reading through uh his other stuff so he's gotta say it's a bit of a weird wikipedia article you know how like there's a there's a paragraph um at the top before you have sort of the contents that is a brief summary um he has two actually hang on what what's happened here there, there are there are two which are nearly identical what on earth has happened here that's strange are we finding are we going to discover another weird wikipedia conspiracy now i think what's happened here is this is like there are two versions here and one is uh one is basically like uh, definitely worse the grammar is definitely worse than in the the other version so i think weirdly one there are just two versions this guy's so good he gets introduced twice I've got to say looking at his picture he's a very suave looking dude um i don't think i've seen any films with him in i mean the other films that how, he's, how old is he he is 51 okay active from 1993 to present i mean he's done a bunch of tv in china uh, and mm. Japan. I don't think he's done any TV in the West. He's done a bunch of stage in Japan. He's done. Uh, he did a musical uh, called Kumagon's Forest. Where he played uh, Kumagon and Horosuke. It, uh, the notes just say seven regional big halls, which I definitely read wrong <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he was also in Bolero in the ba- in ballet. Wow. So quite a quite a talented chap. So, but then his film, he's done a bit more widely. He's done some stuff in Hong Kong, and he's done some films that have actually got their own wiki articles. So he did a film... He did Ip Man. It's probably the most famous one. He was Colonel Sato in Ip Man. 
which is a Donnie Yen film, I want to say. Yes, it's a Donnie Yen film. Um, and a, bu- a whole bunch of other stuff, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce because it is either Japanese, Chinese, or in one case, Taiwanese. Um, but, that, but weirdly, one thing that stands out, because we're not going to talk about this guy for very long, because, again, we, we remain committed to not making content. Um, mm. He was part of a multinational production called Airstrike, otherwise known as The Bombing or Unbreakable Spirit, which <laughs> uh, the the people involved are interesting. Uh, the art director of the film was Mel Gibson. Okay. Just to presumably sprinkle some anti-Semitism in, in the, the film. Uh, right. And then the the cast, the first three members of the cast are Bruce Willis, Liu Ye, who I, I can't say I know from anything else, and Adrian Brody. This film looks nuts. Um, mm. So Liu Ye is... Liu Ye is a Chinese actor, and then there was a South Korean actor called Song Seon Hyun, who is also in it, and it, it, it's inc- like seriously multinational from the looks of things. Um, it also has, if I send you the link to the wiki on our Discord call, um, mm-hmm. it has a seriously good poster, really stylized. Oh wow! Cool. Yeah, yeah. How would you describe that, that poster? You know, you know the effect when, um, when ink gets wet and it starts to run and kind of become blotchy yeah i think it's like that but you've got this incredible shot of two like a dogfight between two planes flying over almost like a a poppy field i was gonna say i think it's just grass but there's these red splotches over the top of it that do make it look like poppies and the structure of the grass kind of the, the the taller blades of grass on each side are bending and reaching the walk towards the upper left and right corners and it it looks like one of those is it a nori gate oh yeah yeah um is I th- nori I right i think I f- that's right and then you got these big is. block chinese characters at the bottom with the english title above it it's a really cool poster actually uh tori nori is a sushi thing ah i had sushi the other day so i've got it on the brain uh well i mean the thing is it is japanese slash chinese so it's uh it revolves around the japanese bombing of Chongqing, which started wow. in 1938 so it's a second world war um story i was i was watching just the other day a really fascinating series of videos about uh japanese cuisine and specifically its relationship with and indeed Jap- japan's cultural relationship with sake the, the right. drink okay and it was really cool i i really like sake i've i've i've, I've had quite a bit in my time i don't think really I've nice ever stuff had as well Oh, it's incredible. There, there was a there was an excellent description of it where it says it um it looks like a spirit. It's treated like a wine, mm. um, but behaves like a craft um, beer. Okay. In terms of the in terms of the range of flavor and unlike um, unlike with uh, spirits and and wine, when you're when you're kind of judging the kind of the various grades and types of sake. There's kind of like you can have sweet and s- sweet and sour and neutral floral, but then also umami. There is a, there's ah. an actual category of sour, and it's they were they went into such detail as that were explaining that um, it's something to do with fish in Japan have less. It's like they it has less iron in it in the way that the raw fish is prepared, and the sake has quite a lot of of some elements in it, or vice versa. And as a result, the pairing together is is even even more striking and important than pairing like a good wine with a meal in 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 like as we would in in a Western 
Eurocentric culture. It was really cool. And as I say, the the, the sake I've had has been absolutely delicious and so varied. It can be hot or cold or kind of room temperature. Um, uh, It can look like almost milk or totally clear like a wine. Um, It can be sparkling. It can be still. It's amazing. Wow. I, I mean, I have yeah. no idea about all this. I have to admit, I know, I know a bit about Japanese culture, mostly through the art, mm. but basically nothing about that side of that, that cuisine and stuff. So I would I'd well, love te- to go to Japan. Tell you what, we need to get John Mannion on the case. So I, I think it was last episode we talked, uh, John Mannion sent us an email, who's a reader of ours and has been for a very long time, um, mm. uh, sent us a video of his talking about sherry. And oh, yeah. I gave it a watch. and It was so good. The, the man knows his stuff. Uh, I, I would highly would you, John can you do us one on sake please I would yeah I would, that would be amazing I would very much like to watch that video because I really enjoyed the first one it was a very like very simple production but very conversational style about sort of different kinds of sherry how it gets made and again that's a drink that I knew I, I, I must have had at some point but I've probably only had like the super dry end of the spectrum which is what he said most people experience you know mm. um, so yeah John go to Japan for us please get, be our <laughs> Our reporter in the field, the Wikicast uh, ambassador to Japan. Oh, can you imagine how great that would be if we had like a roving reporter? Like and this week, we're checking in with John, and he's in uh, Accra, Ghana. <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I, I don't know what is the. Hang on, am, am I right in saying that that is Ghana? Yeah, what is the national drink of Ghana? Surely every country has a national drink. What is the, actually? That, that's a point. What's the national drink of England? England probably bitter, I guess. Oh, tea. Yeah, or or just like it, it probably is tea. I'm just looking. tea or some kind of ale. Ah, no, it's England. There, oh, what a great article! There is an article called "List of National Liquors." Oh, cool. Uh, so not boot liquors. Those are the white supremacists. Uh, mm. So the entry for England is gin. See, gin is controversial, isn't it? Because London dry gin is very specifically English, but Yeneva or Geneva, which is it's the, is the basis of what gin is, is Dutch and came over with um, William of Orange. See, I thought the basis of gin was vodka. No, Yeneva, J-E-N-I-V-E-R. So what's the difference um, between that and vodka? Well, they're both distilled, aren't they? And they're but both from unlike... potatoes, aren't they? No, g- g- gin is juniper berries. No, I thought it was flavoured with juniper berries. Hang on, right, oh, we're going to get on some research. <laughs> I think the difference between gin and vodka, most kind of importantly, is that gin is infused in the dist- in the distilling process. So much like you make a cup of tea, you you hang in a in a basket or or something mm. the flavours you want to impart in the gin, and as the gin distills. And the vapors rise, condense, and settle, and, and that's what gives you your gin. Yeah. The vapors extract those flavors, whereas in vodka that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think I think they're both the same base. Uh, but then gin you've... is a distilled alcoholic drink that derives its predominant flavor from juniper berries. Yeah, and then um, production methods. Oh no, okay. So fermented grain mash. Yeah, I had to, I thought it was potato. I seem to remember reading somewhere that all gin starts out as vodka and then it gets flavoured. Oh, John Mannion is writing a furious email right now. To... Mm. Uh, oh, okay. So there's different there's pot distilled gin, column distilled gin and compound gin. Oh, I should also clarify before the emails write in, I, uh, Yeneva is, I spelt wrong. It's J-E-N-E-V-E-R. Oh. Not J-E-N-I-V-E-R. Apologies. Oh, God. Incorrect facts on the wiki cast. Get out. Yeah, I know. This it's will ridiculous. not stand. So interestingly, going back to this this National Liquors article, um, mm. it's it, England is actually listed as gin for the South, but whiskey for the North. 
England? Yeah, I would not have said that Northern England would be. I would have where said. Where is this article? Where, it's a list of national from? liquors on 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 Wikipedia. I mean, it doesn't cite right. any sources. Actually, no, that's incorrect. It does suit, suit, cite some sources, but not for the UK. Because then it also says Irish whiskey for Northern Ireland, Scotch whiskey, uh, single malt specifically for uh, Scotland, and then Welsh whiskey for Wales. I don't think I've ever had Welsh whiskey. Is that also... That's an American spelling of liquor, isn't it? L-I-Q-U-O-R. Yeah, we have an E in liquor. I thought that there was a difference between liquor and liqueur. Uh, there may well be. I'm just trying to think of whether whether they're whether they're reading England as the UK and the you know whether it's been written by someone who doesn't quite understand that England and Scotland are two very different places. No, no, yeah, there does appear to be a difference between liqueur and liquor. God damn it! How are we so incompetent on the, on this subject we, of all subjects? I can't believe England is listed as gin in the south and whiskey in the north. You would think that it would be bitter. You know? Yeah, like bitter, in bitter the north. is is. Iconic. To go back to my, my, why I looked this up, uh, uh, Ghana does have a national liquor. I'm sure my friend Alex probably could, is screaming at the, his radio set because for some reason he's listening to this on the radio, um, which is called Akpetashi. The most pop- oh god, it, oh my god, it goes by so many names. It goes by many names, including Apio, Ogoglo, Ogoro, uh, Ogogoro, VC10, Kill Me Quick, <laughs> Ifinifa, Kele. Oh god, Kumipreko, Anferuase, Apiatiti, Homeboy, Nana Drobo, One Touch, among others. <laughs> what the f is it? <laughs> it's distilled palm wine or sugar cane, and then infused. So I guess a little bit like gin, actually. Mm. What other? G- give me a country. Let's let's see what the national liquor of different countries. Okay, can we have what's uh, Belarus? Belarus. Belarus is Krambambula. Whoa. What? what? Fantastic. Crambambula, an alcoholic mix of drink cocktail that typically consists of red wine and various kinds of liquor. It's a dirty pint. Fantastic. <laughs> it's a cocktail oh. that typically consists of red wine and various kinds of liquor, including gin, vodka, or rum. Oh, they've got it. They've got it down to a fine art in Belarus. I've said it once, and I'll say, I'll say it again. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Belarus, the favourite country of the Wikicast. Oh wow, there is a, in Iceland has one called Brenevin, which is also known as Black Death. Brackets, potatoes. <laughs> that sounds very Icelandic. If I, or what I know about Icelandic culture, that seems to slot nicely in the middle. Brennevin apparently literally translates to burning wine uh, and comes from the same root as brandy. Brandevin. I've now find... Oh, yeah, so like brand... Because brandy is a is a fermented... It's basically a wine, isn't it? Brandevin. Brandy mm. wine. Yeah. Cool. Um, I found this article and I'm going through Europe and I've I'm just I've come across Italy. Look at the, just the comically long list of national drinks. Uh, where are we? Literally. Oh my god. Grappa, gosh. limoncello, amaretto, amaro, fernet, myrto, altramez, aperol, campari, sinar, frangelico, maraschino, ro- rosolio, sambuca, and strega. I lo- some of these are great. Like so, I think my favorite part about this is the like little notes that go with it. So, uh, what, what, what was I just reading? Um, oh yeah, Greece. Ouzo, parentheses. Distilled 96% pure ethyl alcohol. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Literally just... Greece, this will f*** you up. Mm. God, there are so many. I've never heard of half of these. Yeah. Apparently Spain's uh, we need to go. We should, we should go on a, uh, on a tasting, a European tasting. Oh my God, that's a great idea. The national... Why don't we take this list, Simon, yeah. and try and tick off every opportunity we have to try and try one of these obscure things and see if we can tr- we can try and taste the national liquor <laughs> of every <laughs> European country. 
Yeah, I am. I am so down for that. I feel like it's a bit like Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, but we just get smashed. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at look at the, the section on West Asia. Okay. And look at the variety of drinks that are on 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 tap in oh, West wow, Asia. Yeah, you've got you've got things like Arak, or maybe Arak, or Arak, or even Arak. Parentheses anise. <laughs> Yeah. God, these are not a cousin, but a niece. Hey. What? What? Uh, so, I mean, this is this is one of the most interesting wiki articles I think I've ever seen. And I've I've literally tried a handful of these drinks. I'm sure some of these are absolutely delicious. Fig brandy, buka from Tunisia. I love I love brandy. Lord, it's good. Now it's brandy. No, no, no. Cognac is a t- is a kind of brandy, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's. Um... I think it's regional differences, isn't it? It's this whole French idea of terroir. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, and the and and it, and that's basically how you can kind of distinguish whether someone is an old world wine enthusiast or a new world wine enthusiast. Because the new world idea puts considerably less focus on the the flavors of the of the kind of geographical location coming through in the wine, uh, mm. whereas old wine really does. Um, old world, rather. I'd love to learn more about wine. I felt like that's that's something I should. That's like a Skillshare course I would actually watch. <laughs> that's an amazing two series documentary on YouTube with James May from Top Gear, who I love, mm. um, and Oz Clark, um, very very famous. Oh yeah, wine I think critic. I've seen a bit of this. Yeah, and yeah, they go in the first series. They go around France, and in the second, they do the New World, um, like West Coast of America. Mm. Um, and in the third one, they do they go up and down the UK trying to find the national drink um and there it's brilliant it's good fun it's very interesting can you um, highly recommend can, <laughs> can you uh can you just read out for me Dan? can you tell me what the national drink of hungary is according to this list no i can't <laughs> are you talking about unicum <laughs> Uh, I think I drank. I think I drank that at a house party in my first year. I don't want to know that story. No. I mean, the one picture that they have on Wikipedia for Unicum is a very crusty-looking bottle. It looks like a potion from like what, what, what would be like a health potion in a game because it literally does have yeah. a, a plus sign on it. Uh, By the looks of things, it is the it is the Hungarian equivalent of Jägermeister. The liqueur is today produced by Zwack. <laughs> According to a secret formula of more than 40 herbs, the drink is aged in oak casks. Wow, I bet that's a... Oh, that must be just bizarre. I want to try some Unicum, you know? <laughs> like, I think we've all been there. Wow. According to the manufacturer, the original Unicum is no longer distribu- uh, distributed in the US, having been replaced by Unicum Next, a sweeter, <laughs> thinner-bodied drink with a more prominent citrus flavour, rebranded as Zwack, because for some reason, Unicum wasn't selling to a Western audience. Can't think why. Zwack also sounds very onomatopoeic, like Zwack, 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 Unicum! That's what it feels like when you take your first sip. <laughs> And there's also Unicum Plum, which I suppose depends oh, really? on... Really? Yeah. Of, of course there is. It depends on what you eat beforehand. There's also Unicum Pineapple. <laughs> there's... Mm, dear. Wow. This is... Uh... Oh, oh, so it's named after Peter Zwack. That's why. After the fall of communism, Peter Zwack returned to Hungary and resumed production of the original Unicum. <laughs> now, this is interesting. Switzerland has absinthe or absinthe listed as its national alongside, as a national drink. Alongside and I thought Goldschlager. it was I thought that yeah, was French. I thought it was I French, yeah. 
I love the also. country of origin, Switzerland. What Amazing. is do the you, most? Do you remember the the Chapel Quiet Auto Malta where we managed to get our hands on a on a bottle of absinthe and started drinking it from about two o'clock in the afternoon? And none of us could see by four. I have to admit, I have a blank spot in my memory there. I can't it think ju- why. It was that was the night where. Uh, I kept going round to the various. We were st- for those who for those who don't know, which is everyone, because you weren't in Malta with us. Um, <laughs> we were we were all staying in this big apartment block, and on each floor there were two apartments um, across four floors, and the choir was basically occupying this entire building by ourselves. Um, and on a particular day, where we had we had a service in the morning, and then nothing the following day, and nothing in the afternoon. So that was the the day in the week where we all agreed that we'd have we you know we'd all go out on the lash. Um, Anyway, we all started drinking for about lunchtime and things were getting into a pretty sorry state post two o'clock. And I remember maybe it would have been maybe three. This is just a guess because I mean, all sense of time left me by this point. (laughs) But I was walking around with a saucepan, having emptied five sachets of chicken cuppa soup into the saucepan and walking around to every flat with a ladle offering people soup soup of the the day. Soup of the day? Can I interest you in the soup of the day? And they're like, why are you here? What are you doing? <laughs> I forgot about Amazing. that. Amazing. Iconic. Well, so, well, we got, we got, well, we were meant to be talking about this Japanese actor, but I felt like we've wrung as much out of that as we possibly can. Absolutely. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Right, Dan. Now, you do you have a core cool piece of the week, as we oh, traditionally do on this show? Simon, I'm so I'm so glad you asked. Uh, this week, we do not have a core cool piece of the week. What? Uh, for, two, for two, I think, perfectly valid reasons. I haven't been doing a great deal of singing um, now that most of the projects I've been working on have come to a close, and choral scholars are no longer singing Compline. So I'm 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 having a bit of a break. I'm listening to music, but not nearly as much choral stuff. Mm-hmm. What I am doing, however after last week's episode, is I'm having a really jolly time just reading more poetry, specifically from my contemporary uh, poetry anthology, uh, Staying Alive, rather than the kind of the old stuff that I don't think you enjoy quite as much. Yeah. If, if at all. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this week we're going to just have another poem. Okay. Uh, let me just find the mute button. Yep. You might, well, <laughs> don't tempt fate because you might have a power cut again. Uh, this this poem is taken from, as I say, Staying Alive, Real Poems for Unreal Times. It's an excellent anthology. Uh, if you have uh, a copy of Staying Alive, you can follow along at home. It's on page 255. The poem is written by Pauline Stainer, of, uh, who also, she incidentally wrote a very good crucifixion, Simon. Mm-hmm. And the poem is called The Honeycomb. If you're sitting comfortably, I am. will begin. I've got my bottle of Unicum at the ready. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Well, actually, a bottle of Unicum for this particular poem might be fitting. Okay. Wow, okay. I, 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 you yeah. first had my interest, now you have my attention. Here we go. The Honeycomb. They had made love early in the high bed, not knowing the honeycomb stretched between lathe and plaster of the outer wall. For a century the bees had wintered there, prisoning sugar in the virgin wax. At times of transition... Spring and autumn, their vibrations swelled the room. Laying his hand against the plaster in the May sunrise, he felt the faint frequency of their arousal. Nor winters later, burning the beeswax candle, could he forget his tremulous first loving into the humming dawn. 
Yeah, that was all right. The, honey, the honeycomb. That the was, honeycomb. That, that, I, I, I could get behind that. That was all right. It's good. Oh, it's good. It's great. I love it. I think it's brilliant. There's another. Um, there's another couple of pages before, and you'll. I won't read the whole thing because it's quite long. But the the title is "My Beloved Compares Herself to a Pint of Stout," and it's excellent. <laughs> it's you get such brilliant lines, or uh, like. I look around to see her foaming out of the bedclothes, not laughing, but gazing at me out of four-legged eyes. She says, close your eyes, put your hands around me. I am the blackest, coldest pint you will ever drink. So sip me slowly. Let me linger on your lips, ooze through your teeth, dawdle down your throat before swooping down into your guts. Unicum, available now. (laughs) Yeah, Unicum, proudly sponsored by the Wikicast. (laughs) I've got to try and find Amazing. some now. I am genuinely going to have to try and find some. Actually, well, you know what? So I'm coming down to Exeter, as we were talking about just before we recorded the show. But maybe we should do a taste. Oh, we should do that. We should take the Patreon money and buy as many national liquors as we can and do a video of us just getting smashed on various international liquors. That can only end well. That's a brilliant idea. Oh, I, I totally dog. endorse. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at whether you can buy you, you can buy it online for about twenty five pounds. I wonder if you can buy miniatures. Oh, right. After the after the podcast, we will we will be able to we'll be able to properly think this through. Oh my god, yes. I would like to talk about a film I recently watched. Uh-huh. With uh, readers of the podcast will know uh, the immortal Hugo Wickham. Mm. Um, he 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 joined me for a for a viewing along with uh, Jake and, and Luke to Chapel Choir Tenors, lovely chaps, and we watched The Lighthouse. Now, uh, this was two years ago. Was it last year that it came out? It was last year. And this is Robert Pattinson and William DeFriend. And yes, it's in black and white. And what, could you directed give us a by Robert Eggers. So, what's the premise of the film, Dan? The premise. Uh, it, there's there's a there's a an old sea worn lighthouse keeper is joined by a new chap who wants to get into the trade. New chap is Robert Patterson, mm-hmm. um, and the the premise it's well it's summed up quite nicely here. Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. So um, is this supernatural or is this sort of more just psychological? It's more psychological, right? Um, it's deeply, deeply artistic in its kind of attitude, its script writing, its cinematography. Um, it's shot in this wonderfully, it's it's almost perfectly square. Yeah, it's a very old sort of aspect ratio. I remember seeing that. Yeah, it is. And as a result, you get this constant feeling of real claustrophobia while you watch. And that's only exacerbated by them, these two living on this totally remote island. And there are kind of allusions to sea myth and greek myth and um there there's this kind of haunting whale song that turns into kind of kind of almost human screaming and throughout it's really amazing i don't quite know what to make of it yet and i certainly don't fully understand it i think i'll have to watch it a few more times and re- and read some wider criticism of it but it's um it's a really powerful powerful film I mean, is um, it, is like it the, the, horror? Because that's the, that's the thing that's put me off watching it, is that it almost looks like it's, yeah, like it has sort of horror I would, elements. I think I could confidently say it is absolutely not horror. Okay. I, it, Wikipedia refers to it as a psychological thriller, and I think that's probably right. It's definitely a thriller. There are moments of real tense 
kind of oh i don't there there i think it was mark commode who said there are moments when you're watching it and 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 i think this is directly enhanced by the the aspect ratio that it's shot in but you're kind of you're watching this story play out and there are moments when you feel like you shouldn't be watching what's going on there are real moments of just kind of it's very uncomfortable and and there are still be there'll be certain kind of shots tactically placed within the story where you'll have, so you'll just suddenly have a moment of a character staring into a into the camera as if as if they're looking right through you mm. um and oh it's yeah it's just really good it's really good and it stays with you and the score is mental um and really haunting and i highly highly recommend it if you haven't seen the lighthouse please do see i it's, was uh, it's brilliant so when pixel girl and i so we went back to um her family my my uh hometown in law i guess now um uh to see her family for a birthday and when we were coming back we were listening to the radio for a cinema show which is on late night on a Sunday, so I'd never heard it before. They were talking about another uh, film that had Robert Pattinson in, and it wasn't Ad Astra, but it was... Oh, God. I'm going to have to look this up now, because basically the point I'm getting at here is that since he was like a teenage heartthrob and everything like that, and Twilight and, uh, you know, I guess Harry Potter to a lesser extent, he's taken on some really interesting projects. Um, it's not It's not Good Time, is it? The one where he plays a drug... No, High Life, I think it is. Ah. Oh, he's in Tenet as well. I didn't know that. Good time. I've seen Good Time, and that's fantastic. He's just—he doesn't give a bad performance, and that's why the the pairing of someone like Pattinson with Willem Dafoe is just genius. They 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 have real electricity because he's he's a good actor. Like that's the thing. Like yeah. I mean, he acted like he enjoyed doing Twilight whilst he was doing it. Um, mm. So uh, yeah, it was High Life that I'm looking at here, directed by Claire Denny. Uh, science fiction, a horror film about a bunch of criminals sent to go towards a black hole and one of them has a daughter so that was but yeah like since um because yeah since he did cosmopolis which was i recognized that that was sort of a oh okay no that one didn't go down very well i was gonna say it went to Cannes, but it didn't do very well um and he's done queen of the desert and the lighthouse and you know like a bunch of interesting projects like i feel like it would be it's something that daniel radcliffe did as well didn't he like after mm. he had the international fame and acclaim and he was like right i'm gonna pick projects that i really want to do um mm. and like you know it's just, i feel like those are the actors that i'm most jealous of really because they've they know that their career is made at this point they could just pick the weird projects like, and daniel radcliffe has really picked some weird projects um like yeah I, it's just great really like that, that, that's that's what i would do i feel like if i was if I was to have played Harry Potter, if I was to be Paul Atreides or something, like, after that, you know, get f***ing weird with it. Why not? <laughs> I have to admit, I don't know what Tenet is actually about. I didn't realise that he was in it either. No. This is the one that is meant to be still coming out this year. I see. The Christopher Nolan film. Uh, apparently they're still, uh, they're still going ahead with it this year, despite the fact that that's probably not a good idea. Budget two hundred to two hundred and twenty-five million dollars. Lord. For one day of work, Michael Caine was merely given his pages and has not heard from Christopher Nolan since. Oh, <laughs> he wow. literally just turned up and he was like, "Right, here are your lights." <laughs> then, wow, he must be—he's going to be mystified when he when he watches the film. <laughs> he's going to have no idea. How? Oh my god! Oh, Kenneth Branagh's in it though. He's eighty-seven. That'd be great. It's well, something to look forward to. Yeah, I, I, oh man, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like it's very irresponsible to still release a film 
in this con- in this situation like mm. you know going to a cinema and especially if you're going to a cinema where and to see something that elicits an emotional reaction where you're gasping or you're laughing or, or what have you and if you're an american clapping and cheering like that's just a recipe for trapping germs in a room like it's 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 such an easy way to infect a great number of people as much as singing in a church is really you've got so much you know exhalation going on that uh, in an enclosed mm. space that ah oh, much as I love going to the cinema, don't get me wrong, I love going to the cinema and it is a very different experience. I just don't think it's responsible to release this film now, much as it will probably be the only film released this year. God, what do you think they're going to do for the Oscars? I didn't even think about that. I don't know. <laughs> no films have been released. <laughs> so at this rate, Tenet is going to win every Oscar by default. Maybe that's maybe that's the thinking. It's going to be it's going to be just a more dramatic equivalent of entering The Martian into best comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, just tactfully playing the, you know. Just looking up it up, did the Oscars stop for the Second World War? I don't think they did. No. Uh, list of Academy Awards. Oh, oh God. Uh, how do I get them by year? Because I don't think they did stop. 1939, let's have a look. So they awarded films in 1939. Oh, because that was when Gone with the Wind came out. Um, mm. Yeah, they still... They they still released films and they still did the Oscars in World War Two. So it would take a hell of a lot to to stop them happening this year. Ah, because of COVID nineteen, Academy President announced that for the twenty twenty one Oscar ceremony, streaming movies not shown in theaters would be eligible. So that's interesting. That stuff like Netflix originals, especially when it was because Marriage Story was nominated, was it not? Did that? Or not, certainly the actors were. That got a theatrical release, didn't it? Did it? I thought it did. It was for it was free on. It's a net marriage story was a Netflix original, was it? I think. I think it was, but I thought it had a theatrical because I felt like Netflix basically highlighted the uh, films that they thought they you know could get Oscars for, and then did a limited theatrical release to meet the requirements. Release marriage story had had its worldwide premiere in the Venice Film Festival, so it did film festivals. Netflix gave it a limited release in theaters beginning yeah. November sixth, before streaming the film in December. So it was only in theatres for a month. Yeah, but that that's probably the minimum required to... Mm. Okay, so actually, I'm reading here. Um, the Academy Awards require films to have a th- received a theatrical release in the previous calendar year in at least one cinema in Los Angeles County for at least seven days. That's the previous requirement. And the Go- Golden Globes have changed their stuff. And it looks like they're basically dropping that requirement whilst cinemas are closed. So that's actually going to be really interesting to see how that how that impacts the um the awards next year. Mm. I I could not tell you anything what you know what were the big things that have come out this year because I don't really watch very much <laughs> at, this, at this at this time in my life. Well, watch this space, dear readers, because I feel like that's that's going to be when the awards when the nominations come out. That's going to be that's going to be really interesting. Anyway, sorry, I've said mm. that a whole bunch. Right. Um. What's next on the docket, Dan? What's next on the billboard? I think we've got some thank yous to say, have we not? We have to thank some of our executive and regular producers. Top lad! And because this is an incredibly important moment of the podcast that we never forget... No, no, no. ...never have forgotten, it brings us to Patreon Corner, where we'd like to say an enormous thank you to those who support the podcast. Uh, without this vital funding uh, the the podcast couldn't exist it pays for our wonderful editor it pays for our hosting it pays for us to consider lines of merch and will hopefully 
um, be contributing to some of the costs for Simon and I to do a video on the tasting of as many national drinks as humanly possible. I'm so excited about this idea. And we'll inevitably also pay for the, the cost of the ambulance, for stomach for, pumping yeah. and things. Yeah. <laughs> so I would like to say an enormous thank you to our top dogs if you're new to this part of the podcast you can either support us by being a top dog as part of team dog represented by myself or a top cat and associated with team cat represented by simon i need and jasmine not say which is the obvious choice but let's begin with top dogs and we have a new uh, a new top dog here uh, as i recognize we have um michael zaborniak uh lexi at front desk alex no longer changing their name to f- Dan, hashtag team dog. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Eve Sharples, uh, Alistair Fortune, uh, Samantha, Peter Reed, Maggie, Colin J. Brown, Codzo, Eric Davis, Ben McMurtry, Jay Wright, and Eric Bolliger. Thanks so much. I, however, would like to thank the sensible people on patreon.com forward slash of the wikicast who support the top cat tier. Uh, and those people are, of course, Bendant, Thomas Hill, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy Christie, Tom Withington, Nafi Iftikar, Christopher Betterton, Trustworthy Ginger, Kenneth Kuzmirek, Layla Medina, River Ward, Oliver Craigie, Will Jenis Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Omar Miranda, Colm Mansfield, Princess Andromeda, Choco Cat, Isabel Ostrowski, and the one, the only, Daniel Hanvey. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting us. Um, it, it really is, is, is an amazing thing. Um, if you would like to think about supporting the podcast but would like to know a bit more about us aside from what's going on with the podcast, then we don't often plug it, or, I do, or rather, we don't plug it often enough. Um the incredible discord yes yeah absolutely if you'd like to know more i mean obviously the the, the podcast kind of gives you a, a good amount of information in its own right does but it if you want to get to know the community and these amazing supporters then head over to the discord the wikicast channel is one of my favorite channels on on the discord i've got to say i love yeah. it top lad and now we find ourselves in Correspondence Corner, and we are very excited to announce the return of the Podcast Trials, the uh, Choose Your Own Adventure series that's been written for us by Cameron. Um, we have a few emails, just to, just just a few orders of business that I'd like to get through before then. Um, starting off with... I should have picked an email before I did this. This email from Sam, aka Tech Wizard, um, who I believe is the person on the Discord who's been putting together the user guide for the climate model I've been coding on stream. So shout out to Tech Wizard. Uh, Dear Mrs. Moore and Clark, this is the first time I'm writing in. I've been a listener for about half a year now and I've completely caught up. Do not worry. Since I'm an avid, an avid Star Wars fan, I have to make a comment about the correct order to watch Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry, I realised that you, the first Star Wars was also singular. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I cannot understand how you could watch it in that order. Why would you do that? There is a case to be made for chronological order, so you'd understand the references in the later movies. There is a case to be made for the intended order: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, as that is story-wise how the events unfold. However, I fail to see the logic behind the correct order: four, five, one, two, three, six, seven, eight. Why would you insert the prequels between five and six? Skipping the sequels, on the other hand, is completely justified. Um, the, the logic, and this is Peter Robinson, I think, who came up with this, is four and five, you start out really strong, and then you watch the prequels, but you don't want to finish on a sour note. So you'd go, you know, four or five, get the prequels out of the way, then finish on Return of the Jedi, and if you want to, then carry on into the sequels. But I mm. think the idea was to avoid the last thing you watch potentially being Revenge of the Sith, because... Mm. 
oh dear like what finish off with return of the jedi and finish strong you know um i don't know if dan you have an opinion on that yeah i understand it i think to be honest me being fairly kind of a, a plain sailing chap i would probably just watch them in um chronological order uh, of their release Chron- no chronological in terms of the the time within the within the film. story so like one two three four five yeah, six yeah. seven eight nine yeah yeah uh I, I, I don't know, like, I feel like if you start out on the prequels, why would you bother continuing? You, you, you get to the end of episode one well, and be like, what was this? I would only, I would only do that because I, I am aware of it. I think as a new, as a new person watching them, then I probably, that's probably a dangerous But And also, when you go from episode three to episode four, the jump in quality, well, the jump in visual effects going way downhill, but then the jump in quality going way uphill is like whiplash. Like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know that it sounds a little counterintuitive, Tech Wizard, but I will, I stand by that order, particularly if you don't want to do the sequels. I think if you do include the sequels, then maybe there's a bit more justification for doing it in the order of release. But, you know, I'm, I'm just a podcast host, not a cop. I have an email here from Ted, and the email is titled Correspondence, with a capitalised O and a C. <laughs> Why they are capitalised, we shall soon find out. <laughs> Hi, Simon and Dan. I've been watching Simon's vlogs and videos for several years and just recently started listening to these podcasts, and it is indeed the highest quality combination of satire and debate in the land. Brilliant. Um, I'm about to start studying for an MSc, hopefully, in astrophysics at St. Andrews come September, and I've been considering starting to vlog my experience there. So do either of you have any tips or advice regarding how to balance time when to start uh, and when to start the vlog. Additionally, Simon, I have read over your thesis and it is incredibly interesting, especially now after completing a physics degree because now I can understand it. It would be absolutely awesome to nerd out over this among your other sciencey adventures over the last few years. I know it's a long shot, but no harm in trying. Give my best to Pixel Girl and congratulations on your engagement between you and Dan, obviously. Couple goals and all that. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ted. Uh, Amazing. In terms of when to start the vlog, I'd say... Um... There is an argument to be made to that the most interesting bits to capture are when you start. I didn't do that because when you start is also an incredibly tumultuous time and it's very difficult. And why would you make life more difficult for yourself? Um, I think also it, it's a good thing to give yourself three or four months of settling hmm. because I think it could probably impact your time, especially starting off. Maybe it's different with a... Um, if you're doing a graduate degree rather than an undergraduate. But I think it's good to give yourself time where you can actually just be yourself and settle and not be that guy at the freshest party who's got his camera out and is vlogging. Do you know what I mean? And also editing takes a lot of time. Like it is a Mm. big time sink. And, you know, when you're starting out, you do kind of need that time just to get your feet under the desk and get to know people and, you know, not be like, oh, sorry, guys, I can't go out tonight. I can't do this social because... I'm editing my vlog. You know, there is an argument to be made for it, don't get me wrong, but I feel like you're better off, yeah, as Dan says, giving yourself a bit of breathing room. And then in terms of tips, uh, film... (laughs) Film as much as you feel comfortable filming, really, um, because the more content you have to work with, the more options you'll have in editing. And the number of... It doesn't matter how much you film, you'll always wish that you got that one shot that you didn't think of. And so, you know, give yourself flexibility, get time lapses. You know, whilst you're working, you can set the camera up to do a time lapse of you or the environment you know capture your point of view i mean the thing is just make stuff is probably the most important thing just film and see what you get out of the footage that you take and does that align with what you want to make you know Mm. watch other people's vlogs see what they've done that you like and what they they've done that you don't like and then just make stuff and eventually just learn you'll learn by doing you'll learn what shots you need and how to combine them in the right way so i'd say 
um, yeah, give yourself a bit of a break to begin with, and then watch lots of vlogs and make lots of vlogs. And over time, over the episodes, you will gradually learn how to turn that image you have in your head into the, the actual finished product. There you go. I have an, an email here, uh, which I, I couldn't resist, from Henry, uh, called School Stories. Dear Simon and Dan, watching older Wikicasts, I have some stories of my own from school. So you remember we asked people for their best stories from their school years. Ah, yes. Um, one time there was a fight going down and one of the people's locked arms to stop teachers being able... Sorry, some of the people's locked arms to stop teachers being able to get in and break up the fight. Like a f- wow. shield wall. Um, yeah. Great, you know, coordination. Uh, another story. My first year math teacher, who no longer works at the school, uh, for reasons that will probably become clear, was, to put it politely, a crackhead. <laughs> Dear. One student put their feet up on the table in front of the class... So he stole their shoes and chucked them out of the third floor mats room window. He then told them to go and get them back. And when he was underneath the window, poured his hot cup of tea on him and then locked oh him goodness. out of the classroom. Yeah. Wow. I can't imagine why this person would no longer be working at the school. Christ. Um, That's unreal. Another story. When we had a lockdown rehearsal. Oh my God, where did you go? Hogwarts. Uh, when we had a lockdown rehearsal, the science teacher put us all in the corner of the classroom. He then thought it would be a good idea to get out his laser pointer and pretending that it was a gun sight. Oh my God. But where did you go to school, Henry? And then, oh God, is there a... I think it must be. It's probably America, right? Yeah, that's got. I mean, doing like a lockdown rehearsal. I mean, I know Pixel Girls. Although they done say them. year seven on a year seven residential, so it's not America. Yeah, unless they're translating for us for us Brits. Maybe, maybe. And then there's a last story here, which is a, little, a rather gory, and it involves someone's finger getting chopped off by a door, uh, and a carpet Whoa. needs to be repainted. <laughs> so, oh dear. If, people may be eating. I'm not eating my apple anymore, but you know, people may be eating whilst eating this, so whilst reading this, so I'm not going to relay that one. Well, thank you, Henry, for those truly, truly terrifying uh, stories. Uh, we have an email, a brief one here from Dominic, titled "Poets Corner House." Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, I very much enjoyed your last rambling on Poets Corner. I found it particularly fascinating, as my last two years in university have been spent in a house called the Poets Corner. Uh, so clearly I'm now marked for poetic greatness. They will have to save a space for me at the Abbey. I very much look forward to your fortnightly rambling and the potential upcoming merch. Kind and warmest regards, Dominic. Wow, what a cool name. Aged XXI. Ooh, nice. I, I, yeah, nice. I, like that's a great name for a halls. I like that. Yeah. And then finally, before we go on to the Choose Your Own Adventure, we have an email here from uh, Mika Han. Uh, Hi, Simon and Dan. While reading and enjoying your most recent podcast, I was a little surprised by our conversation about a hypothetical Harry Potter TV show. Given the increased vitriol J.K. Rowling has been spouting amongst the trans community recently, I was surprised you just casually mentioned her, making more money off the series without mentioning this. I understand the argument of separating art from artists, however, not mentioning her recent behaviour while mentioning her by name uh, felt odd. I just wanted to, to address this because uh, I think when they email had been sent to us, hmm. it was pre this late... Because the thing is, she has been doing this for quite a while. J.K. Rowling has some very problematic views. Um, for those of you who have been mercifully unaware of this, she has basically come out swinging at, as a turf uh, and really doubled down as being anti-trans and sort of basically science denying i feel like would be a, mm. a good way of putting it um so so the email was sent to us before this latest wave of her really doubling down happened um i do th- i do think that we were remiss to not 
mention it because I'm pretty sure that when that episode was recorded, it I think that this this latest spate had happened. I can't remember exactly when we recorded it, but no, nor can I. I think certainly, regardless of whether it had explicitly happened at it at its worst or not, we would have we would have been able to mention the kind of the history that that she has had with um with. <laughs> various feeling the need to comment on things yeah and and i feel like uh just just to sort of uh raise this issue because i think mika's completely right to, to raise this with us because well just to, just just to continue about actually i'm, I'm writing the scene not in any way to accuse you of agreeing but rather to suggest that mentioning her name in a, uh not mentioning her name and recent anti-trans comments is a form of harm to the trans community at this point it feels like mentioning the art of the deal by donald trump and then wishing he writes another book this first book is first unre- is unrelated to his current actions but wishing for future business writing without acknowledging the sexual assaults and children in cages seems short-sighted and wrong which i agree with yeah um Mm. lindsay ellis did a good video on this basically about how you can like the stuff that the the rolling has put out before we can like harry potter and dan is very much a potterphile um Mm. uh, and i love and i will and and i will always be but i think and i think that that's that's really important i was having this debate just the other day actually with someone when we were talking about films having just watched the lighthouse and i went on an extended ramble about american beauty Mm. The film starring Kevin Spacey, um, and I think I think it's really really fascinating to discuss issues like this, where at at its core the debate revolves around how do you separate art from the artist, um, and I think it's I think and, and this is my opinion, and I and I don't mean this to offend anybody, and I completely take Micah's points in the email. I think I think they are totally right. Um, in in the points that they are raising. But I think to understand and develop a relationship with with artwork in whatever form, it's really, really important to be able to consume that art in and of its own right. So this is the idea of um, death of the author, basically. This- absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's really important that, that art form can exist on its own without having to have a relationship with its creator um and and it's that's flawed certainly but i think it's really important because as soon as you as soon as you as soon as that relationship becomes more tangible and apparent you will f- you'll find what it, well <laughs> the phrase cancel culture jumps to mind and let's just leave it there i think well, I mean, so i, I think I, it's so important lindsay ellis did a video about this recently that was really good actually about rolling a death of the author because i think there is a definite difference between separating the art and artist in the case of someone like wagner for example we can enjoy the music but acknowledge that he was deeply anti-semitic and that inspired a lot of his art um Mm. but with rolling she's still alive and there is still the potential for example in the form of a tv show of more art and more profit for her being made you know from this intellectual property that is pre-existing and predates her you know kind of like violent swing into right-wing fear-mongering so I, I feel like it is a bit more complicated and i think it is very possible to sort of look back on the experience that we both had with harry potter when we were younger but to, to quote you know actually so yeah mika says this as well funnily enough in her email while i would love to keep harry potter in my life i refuse to do so at the expense of the lives and safety of trans people i feel like you can hold on to the memories and the experiences you've had with her work in the past but to continue to support her at present and in the future when it comes to new works and remixes of her work or whatever it may be that is actively supporting the uh, her positions now so i, th- I feel mm. like it is possible in most cases 
uh, where the author is dead, basically, to separate art from the artist. But Absolutely. when there think that, is the potential for the more point. content, it is that's when it becomes more problematic. So I was having a conversation with somebody who has now stopped listening entirely or deliberately going out of their way to stop listening to Michael Jackson oh. um, and, and his music. And they laid out a perfectly coherent argument as to why they're doing it. Um, but I just fundamentally disagree with the need to because of this importance of art and the artist or creator and what they create. I mean, if you don't, if you don't recognize that these, that a creator and what they create are two fundamentally and important, importantly different things, then, then where do you draw the line? Because we're, you know, for example, and, and taking it to a, to a, in a very general, but extreme sense, because if a line isn't drawn, then you can absolutely take these things to extremes. We live in we live in a, in a we live in a society. We live in a Western society, which has its foundations in the the philosophy and morals born of ancient Greece. And while these these individuals were clearly great great intellects, these are also the same people who would take young boys as sexual. Slaves might be a strong word, but in return for sexual favours, they would educate and be patrons to them. Now that I don't think is okay, and that I think is absolutely a misuse of of power and um, position over a younger individual. That's clearly wrong. But but I'm also then not going to say, well, as a result, I'm never going to read the works of Plato, Socrates, or Herodotus ever again. No, I, I don't disagree I with that at all. I, I, it's you, it's really important that just to for there to be a to, for there to be a a, di- a a gap between the two. And going forward, the and I and I, I agree with. Micah's point: If 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 Rowling was to write another Potter book and and start using those books to further her own right wing agenda, then then okay, yes, then 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 that is a different thing. Um, but I can't think of any times where even now, when I consume the books and I do so every year at least you know, thirteen times, I read the series thirteen times uh, a year, which is slightly obsessive and probably wrong in its own way. But there are never times there where I feel that that is a bad thing to do. And I think what's happened is that she's she the person that she is now and the person she was when she was writing the books are two different people. Yeah, I, I think basically the the separation of art and artist is inherently made more difficult when there's the possibility of that artist making more art. And how does the existing art sit in the context mm. of that, that potential future content? Um, yeah, but in the same vein, in the same vein, it is important to if if there is a separation between the art and the artist then you then you cannot boycott later art produced without evaluating it without evaluating it as art fairly in its own right because otherwise you can't stand up to your first argument you can't say that there is a separation be- between the art and the artist but i'm never going to read a jk rowling book again i mean if you want to do that of course you can i'm not saying you can't but i think if you are going to say that there is a separation then you've got to judge both fairly i don't know i feel like I feel like yeah, there is that. Just do you know what I mean though? Like if, but by saying that you you're not going to, I'm just not going to engage with it. Which of course you are, you know, you can do, and that's fine. But if it were me, even knowing, even you know, have if I read a review saying, oh, J.K. Rowling's new Harry Potter book is absolutely vile, and it will, you know, it will mar your image of this glorious thing from childhood deeply. I would still like. I, I mean, I read. I read The Cursed Child and that was that was getting panned by what it was doing. But I would much rather be able to formulate my own opinion of it than just boycott it for the sake of 
not consuming it at all. But then and by that consuming that, and that it, might just you, are, be me. you are endorsing, well, not endorsing, but you are supporting her and by proxy her views. I feel like it's a bit like me refusing to buy, I don't know. Let's say that in the past life, I was a, uh, in, earlier in life, I was a big fan of the art of the deal or something. And then Trump does all of the stuff he's done as a president. And then he comes out with a new book. Uh, even if I did like that previous book, I wouldn't want to buy it so as to not support him and know, you know, knowing the views that he has. I feel I, I, t- I do understand what you're saying in terms of being able to assess the art separate from the artist. But I just feel like there is a fundamental difference when there is the potential for more art and the artist is still alive. Can't believe I just used the phrase "artist" and Donald Trump in the same sentence, but but there well, we go. Indeed, it's a it's a it's a deeply complicated thing, isn't it? And and the most important thing is that we can discuss it and we can and we can we can talk about it and we can give everyone their their time to make their point. And and as I say, I think I think Micah's email is is yeah absolutely I, spot on. I, I think... and I and I do agree mostly. I think um I think the important thing is that yeah we were remiss to not mention it last time and certainly uh, yeah. and I you know do let us know what your opinions are we don't want to get bogged down in this for weeks and weeks of discussion but it is an important topic uh yeah and unfortunately you know in this particular case it is a cultural touchstone for so many people our age um mm. that has been tainted by by her actions more recently so yeah i've just realized and, and, and actually we we, we we would just say just quickly on this on this same point do you remember when we where we, we made an announcement back early, early in early early days of the podcast where we were deliberately trying to make more of an effort to um to approach emails from a more gender neutral yes, perspective yeah. this is just another example where simon and my we our own kind of subconscious cultural biases and and if we were more if we were more aware of the issues i think we would have made more of a point to 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 highlight them and in and not doing so it's just an opportunity for us to learn yeah um also um Micah, i just realized that so Dan's been pronouncing your name right the whole time. When you, you she's very helpfully put at the bottom, uh, spelling out the name and then like the rock Mika. But I assumed you meant like the rock star Mika. <laughs> that's why uh. I've been calling you Mika instead of Mike. <laughs> Sorry, that's me just being an idiot and not reading what you've written properly. I haven't I haven't listened to Mika for so long, and I used to absolutely love his stuff. I just remember it was a bit like Alvin and the Chipmunks. I just remember it being one of the key features was it was just very high. <laughs> oh, he's got he. I mean, a, a seriously incredible musician, like really, really amazing. You know who else is a seriously incredible artist, though, Dan? I think I, I think I might. Yeah, Cameron, our friend Cameron Steele, who has written in. He's actually sent in uh, a updated version of the podcast trials chapter two. So Dan, this is the choose your own adventure. Now, do you you read this last time? I think you should carry on and, and read um, and read chapter two now. So this is before it was just prologue, and this is now we actually get to choose what happens. Fantastic. Do we need? I don't think. Can you? Can you? If I'm going to read it, do you think you could give us a, a review of what happened last time? Uh, so last time I was eating a bunch of scones, uh, yeah. and you read a thing that basically said if we. Uh, there was a contest that would get the Wikicast if we won, would get the uh, Wikicast on the top, the front page of Apple Podcasts and trending for six weeks or, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the podcast, the, the 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 challenge was. If I'm honest, can you? Was it to do with specialist knowledge? Like we had to sort of answer questions on our our particular yeah. subfields. Yeah, 
and if and if we passed then it would give the podcast incredible profile and publicity yeah okay oh god i'm so excited for this okay and and in this this is where just scrolling through this is where the 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 choose your own adventure truly comes to light there are options here that i'll be asking you simon and and you come across an old wizard who claims that free will is an illusion if you disagree turn to page 72 if you agree turn to page 72 yeah here we go Last time in the podcast trials, our scone-loving friends realised they could lose all of their podcast income if the fans found out that Pixar Girl is actually Simon in disguise. In a brash attempt to hold on to their bursting wallets, the two were whisked away from reality as they entered the podcast trials. How will our heroes fare as they prove their expertise to get to the top of the Apple podcast charts? Well, let's find out. Chapter 2. Cooking and Cavemen Simon and Dan found themselves standing in a vast expanse of whiteness. Granted, much of England can be described in the same way, but this was no ordinary place. Everywhere they looked, the two men saw nothing but endless, featureless white space. Behind them, someone cleared his throat. Sitting in a desk made entirely of glass was a handsome, middle-aged man with salt and pepper hair. Welcome, gentlemen. Dan gasped. Turning to Simon, he whispered, That's Tim Cook. <laughs> he's, he's Apple's CEO. Simon scrutinised the businessman in front of them. Well, he's not exactly Bill Gates, is he? The man straightened in his chair. I am Timothy Cook. This is my assistant, Mr Smothers. A dapper young man appeared nearby, holding aloft a tray with a single colourful martini. Why do you call him that? asked a grinning Simon as the assistant managed his boss's shoulders massaged rather <laughs> managed as the, as the assistant massaged his boss's shoulders and showered him with compliments well it's his name isn't it dan stepped forward it is an honor to meet you sir i am a tremendous admirer of your company i even worked in it for a time sometime myself you would go weak at the knees if you met tim cook tim apple probably just would. saying tim apple yeah mr cook turned and whispered to his assistant Who is this young firebrand, Smothers? Daniel Moore, sir. He was a grunt in Sector 7G. Daniel, eh? Well, gentlemen, I'm a very busy man, so let's get right to it. Look around you. Here you can make your first choice, but you shouldn't really. You should just do what you're told. Look around, or break the tension with some stunning punning. What do you want to do? Well, obviously we're going to do some punning, Dan. That's a fundamental part of this podcast. An excellent choice. Dan smiled. Yes, I suppose it's Tim to get cooking. As in time to get cooking. Very nice. <laughs> the true side of a successful partner is when you have to explain it. Now, the next the next line is going to trigger anyone with an Apple device, so do be careful, and mine will probably go off. Hey, Siri, muttered the CEO. Oh, no, phone's all right. Good, good. An automated Apple sentry robot teleported into the room and aimed an array of deadly weapons at Dan. Escort these two off premises, please. The robot stood up straight, lowered its weapons, and began to speak in an attractive feminine voice. So just talk normally for this one, Dan. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> Before I can do that, you'll need to change your location services settings. In location services settings, turn on. Never mind, Siri. Mr. Cook interrupted. Well, it looks like you two have another chance. Look around, please. So I'm now going to click on look around. Wait, is this got has this got hyperlinks? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. 
Simon and Dan could still see nothing but endless white. Charming, sir, crooned Dan, admiring the minimalism. This is our server room, the CEO continued. It can't be seen with the naked eye, but this room is made of innumerable windows into tiny worlds, their light blending together in pure whiteness. These are Apple's simulated world servers. Each is an entire universe at our fingertips. With Apple's awe-inspiring technology, we can enter the worlds we've created, allowing us to see them, change them, and learn from them. This brings us to the matter of your presence. Behold your trials. He flipped open a beautiful, glistening, brand-new MacBook and spun it around to let Dan and Simon see the screen. The force of the spin snapped the hinges and the screen fell off. Smothers, <laughs> Mr. Cook called out. Mr. Smothers immediately proffered a replacement laptop. As soon as it was opened, the screen burst into a wondrous display of multicoloured light. The source was a rainbow cartwheel that plodded on intermittently at one corner. Smothers! The third laptop was worked as intended, displaying four rectangles, four windows into simulated universes. Each of these worlds needs your help, gentlemen. Are you ready to aid them? No, exclaimed Simon, suddenly aware of his missing pastry, his missing baked goods. Thank you. The first of four worlds came into picture, the blurriness of the image melting like ice. The picture showed a lightly forested mountainside in the evening where a group of Neanderthals sat around a camp- campfire by a cave. Let's start out by seeing if you have more <clears throat> let's start out by seeing if you have more intellect than even the most basic of our ancestors. Good luck. And Simon and Dan disappeared once again. The boys step into the midst of a tribe of dirty cavemen, a campfire blazing in their midst. The Neanderthals sit up dumbstruck. Dan and Simon are rather dumbstruck as well, but in their case it's because of the story's jarring transition into the past to present tense. How very unprofessional. (laughs) Mr. Cook's disembodied voice whispers through the trees. Dr. Clark, your friend may aid you, but this trial is yours. To demonstrate your knowledge of atmospheric physics and prove that you are an educator worth your salt, you must teach these men something that will accelerate the development of their civilization. If you succeed, you may be able to improve our own universe by alterating in the very se- Ah, but I talk too much. Keep this simple, gentlemen, and make it quick. The largest, hairiest caveman stands up, clearly nervous. Zug zug, he grunts. Uh, welcome. <laughs> Dan looks at his partner and gestures to the caveman, inviting Simon to take the lead. Now, here's another choice for you here. Would you like to return the greeting or assert dominance? Oh god! Now assert dominance sounds like I could just that could be that could be you know how like in games where like you choose like a dialogue option and you'll be like oh assert dominance and they're like Simon got his wang out and started helicoptering whilst walking towards the ape man. It's like oh that's not what I wanted at all. Oh so so they went zug zug. Mm. Uh, I go zug zug back. So you're going to return the greeting. I'll return the greeting. Simon and Dan greet the greet the key cave. Oh God, hang on. Let me just <laughs> let me just engage a bit of brain for for reading. Hang on. Simon and Dan greet the cavemen warmly, if somewhat awkwardly. Yeah. Zug zug. Smart men. Little smart men have smart for us. Uh, I suppose so, says Simon, scratching his aching head. You look around at the humble home of the cavemen. There are no women or children to be found. They must be out hunting or foraging. Your eyes fall upon a rather systematic arrangement of plants, perhaps an early attempt at agriculture. 
There are no visible tools, constructed habitats, or domestic domesticated animals nearby. The only man-made object in sight is the fire, a huge pyre of flame that billows smoke into the sky. Without a clear place to start, teaching these men something significant could prove to be a Herculean task. The sun shines brightly in the middle sky, uh, a few clouds swirling around it. Beyond this mountain are many more of the same, each one reaching higher than the last. Thin valleys carve tight spaces between them, sparkling with pristine rivers. One such well-watered valley lies ne nearby, far below you, nestled in a deep depression between this mountain and another. In another direction, the, mountain, the mountainous terrain tapers into gently sloping hills where small animals graze. The few things the cavemen do have might be work, worth a closer look. Do you want to walk over to the plants or step up to the fire? Oh my god. Uh, let's learn more about our environment. Let's have a look at the plants. Okay, so I'm just clicking on that hyperlink here. Simon waltzes over to the fledgling <laughs> farm. This is what I was talking about. I didn't want to like shimmy over to the plant. I want to do it like a Neanderthal. Dan tries to follow, but he is unfamiliar with the waltz, and the cavemen make fun of his footwork. In the fertile in the fertile soil of the garden, you find the diminutive ancestors of modern produce. In one plot are a few multicoloured, misshapen vegetables, the earliest potatoes. Nearby, the cavemen are growing ancient corn, which look like more which, which look more like stalks of wheat and less like the juicy cobs that pair so well with butter. Nearby, Dan wraps his arms around his torso, struck by a chilling breeze. Inquiring about the season, he learns that this is the very height of summer. Do you think your atmospheric knowledge could revolutionise the farming industry, or would you like to try something else? You have three options. Oh my god. How long, by the way, how long is this chapter going to be? I feel like this episode is extremely long, as it is. Not too much longer, I should think. Okay. Would you like to point at the distant hills, point at the well-watered valley, or leave and walk to the campfire? So I am at the farm, and... I can either point at, what was it, the hills? The distant hills. The valley. The well-watered valley, or go back to the campfire. And this is an agricultural garden. It's like a producing yeah. food. Fledgling, fledgling farmland. Oh, God. There's some corn cobs and diminutive vegetable uh, potatoes. We're going we're gonna to take me to the river, Dan. Take me to the point of the river. Simon points the deep, well-watered valley. Water good for plant, and valley warmer than mountain. Warm, good for plant too. Change home. Take crops there. <laughs> Change home. Homes <laughs> the under cavemen, the hammer. <laughs> the cavemen, excited at the revelation you've offered them, quickly begin to pack up their meagre possessions. Their advice given, Simon and Dan are pulled from the simulation and allowed to observe as Mr. Cook speeds up the flow of time in the world server. The cavemen cheerfully set up their new home in the valley. Very early in the fall, before the crops have grown, cold air begins to billow down the sides of the mountains and gather in the valley between them. As frost kills off the season's harvest, Simon realises that the valley could be referred to of what physics called a frost pocket. <laughs> Bravo! As Mr. Cook requested, this experience has taught the cavemen a very valuable agricultural lesson. Unfortunately, hunting and gathering proved dismal dismally fruitless for the cavemen this year, and no one lives long enough to pass on their new knowledge. Whoops. <laughs> Click here to roll back the world server to a previous save state. Oh my god, what? How was I supposed to know there was going to be like catabatic <laughs> wind? Okay. So you walked over to the you it is now taking us back to the few thing the few things the cavemen do have might be worth a closer look. You had an option to walk over to the plants or step up to the fire. Right, we're going to walk to the plants and I'm going to point at the hill. <laughs> we're going to do the opposite. Okay. We're going to point at the distant hills. I'm not going to get salty about this. I promise, Cameron. 
Simon directs the group's attention to the hills in the distance. Beginning with a beginning a masterful oration, Simon uses his atmospheric genius to explain why the hills would make a far better home than the mountainside. Okay, Simon, go ahead. Uh, zug zug, up high. See far. Why use many word when few word do trick? They're a little underwhelmed by Simon's <laughs> ramblings and then agree to pack up and move their families up to the hills. Simon and Dana return to the server room as they watch as the cavemen develop farming, husbandry, and toolmaking in record time. Could it really be that you've succeeded? No, calling it now. Well done, says Mr. Cook. You've deleted Machu Picchu from history. Yay! But I can, but I can hardly argue with the results. It seems that the hilly terrain was far more capable of, susta- of supporting uh, large populations than the terraces that would have eventually been constructed at Machu Picchu. Smothers report this new information to the operators overseeing our river valley simula- simula- simulations. <laughs> it will do wonders for our agricultural studies. Hang on a second, said Simon to the CEO, cocking his head in disbelief. Dr. Clark, shouts Smothers, prying the doctor's hands away from his boss's neck. <laughs> what? It's quite all right. What? <laughs> It's quite all right, Mr. Smothers, says Tim, uncocking his head where Simon had cocked it. (laughs) As far as comedic misinterpretations go, that one could have been far, far worse. I'm very, very sorry, sir, says a genuine Simon. I'm just surprised that any of this is new knowledge. Um, Sorry, you're not American. I'm not American. I'm I'm, I'm just surprised that any of this is new knowledge. Uh, Could you have asked any atmospheric physicist about your farming issues? Or any farmer, even? I try not to associate with those unwashed muckrackers, Mr. Cook replies, and farmers aren't much better. But at least they don't bother me about their carbon emissions. Now, while you now you are, now while you were gone, we managed to get a large number of your friends and acquaintances on standby for teleportation. From now on, you may summon them to your aid at will. Let us begin with your second trial. He clicks another window on the computer screen. This one's for you, Dan. I hope you're. I hope you know your cathedrals because World Number Two is is based on the book that's all about them. A shame too. We've just spent an hour discussing the weather, and now we get to go to church. Well, that's the Wikicast for you. Good luck, gentlemen. <laughs> End of chapter two. Oh my! Amazing. God. That was amazing, Cameron. I loved that. Oh my god! <laughs> this is. I got the impression that it was going to be like one of those you know when Game Grumps played that golfing game and it was like no matter what you did you wouldn't get yeah. the ball in the hole I felt like it was going to be like that like yeah. oh you send them up on the hill they're going to freeze to death you go to the fire you burn in the fire like you have to exhaust yeah. all the options before you're allowed to go forward yeah wow that was quite that was something great. Cameron thank you well, very that, much I'm excited about chapter 3 goodness Dan though we've been going on for so long we need to we, we need to wrap really this up So, Simon, what have we learned today? Well, Dan, today we have learned about Tenma Shibuya, a Japanese actor, classical dancer, and cultural exchange activist who we promptly ignored and then started talking about liquors of the world. We did, and we spoke about liquors of the world for far too long. Yeah, um, which which set the set the rambling train um, careering into the sidings. This um, this for, uh, may this be podcast. the longest Wikicast we've ever released, but considering it, that it, it may well be, it, it contained both the discovery of Unicum. And uh, some fantastic choose-your-own-adventure action. I feel like the viewers mm. will forgive us for this one. And a power cut and some poetry and an interesting review of The Lighthouse. And I mean, the it's just been a nature it's been of art and the artist. Yeah, this has been a... I feel like this has been more in line with what we expected to make. So, uh, dear readers, yes. I hope that this has sated your appetite for non-content. 
That's all for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting servers of choice, join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Your local national liquors, your favourite bits of bad poetry, I still want to see some bad poetry, please send it in, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole, and And we'll we'll see see you next time. time.